It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The union forever, ah, boys, hurrah, down with the trainer, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, only at KNews FM 98.5. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help people protect their families and real estate with estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases. It has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws and city ordinances and to enforce the voters' decision to ban cannabis billboards on Highway 101. I've been honored to serve as elected Port San Luis Harbor Commissioner and repeatedly served as Superior Court Special Master. At Slow County Public Policy and the Law, we talk with office holders, lawyers, and activists shaping public policy that affect you. Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you enjoyed our rebroadcast of my conversation with Kathy Stickle about smuggling abducted Ukrainian children out of Russia and Superior Court Judge Craig Van Ruyen's explanations of how California grand juries work to investigate government agencies and indict or absolve folks suspected of crimes. If you missed last week's show, log into the podcast of the interviews at knews985.com. Today, I am pleased to chat with Emily Elliott and Ron Eukelson about some advances in the law that protect folks working as, quote, contract, end of quote, employees and working to keep patients healthy in hospitals. In our second hour, Congressman Salud Carbajal, we might even talk about somebody who's up for expulsion. Congressman Carbajal is on the Armed Services Committee, on the Agriculture Committee, and he is the ranking member of the Subcommittee on Coast Guard and Maritime Transportation. But right now, let me tell you a little background about Emily Elliott and Ron Eukelson. Emily Elliott has a Bachelor's of Science degree in Nursing graduating number one in her class at Creighton. 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 Yep. (laughs) She has a B.S. in psychobiology and a Juris Doctorate from UCLA, admitted to the California Bar Association in 2005. Ms. Elliott worked for law firms in San Francisco and L.A., but came to Carmela Nakasha here in San Luis Obispo in 2015. She has served as a board member for CASA and for the Food Bank Coalition. Ron Eukelson also works at Carmel and Nakasha. He has worked as director of business development because he has an MBA and strategic planning at St. Vincent Medical Center and four other hospitals in Los Angeles. Uh, Ron has served as Chief Strategy Officer for Tenant Health Central Coast and as Chief Marketing and Strategy officer at Wilshire Health and Community Services. Mr. Eukelson has been inducted into the Cal State Northridge Athletic Department's Hall of Fame, and he uh, manages a lot of the business 
end of Carmel and Nakasha, keeping all those lawyers working together. Uh, welcome to the show, Emily, Ron. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I, I wanted to talk to both of you because you both bring a deep understanding to employment law and changes in the law uh, about employment, particularly in the healthcare field. Uh, and, and many of those changes have occurred recently. Um, now, I, I want to get a little background, though. Uh, Ron, how did you get into managing employees in the healthcare field? Well, I call healthcare the uh, the uh, profession that chose me. I uh, actually started my career as a sports writer. And I was very, very fortunate to uh, cover the Angels and the Lakers and among professional golf, tennis, and things like that. But uh, as I say, I had to break my vow of poverty and uh, and uh, go into something else. <laughs> and, and earn so, a living. <laughs> and so um, there is a hospital in Southern California in Inglewood, right near the airport, called Sentinella Hospital. At the time, they were the official hospital for all the professional sports teams and major universities in athletic departments in in, uh, in the Los Angeles area. They were looking for a sports guy to kind of teach the hospital business too. And uh, 31 years as a hospital administrator, another five years uh, working at Wilshire Health and Community Services and Home Health and Hospice. And... Um, had a very nice transition into doing business development for Carmel and Nakasha uh, LLP, which uh, uh, actually is the largest law firm in uh, by number of attorneys in, in uh, San Luis Obispo County. So it's been a very nice transition at this point in my life and my career. Well, wonderful. Emily, yes. how did you get into this kind of crossover between employment law and hospital law? And, uh, you, you know, one of the things I read that caused me to invite you was that you were warning businesses about misclassifying employees as contract workers. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, it's two separate questions. So I'll, I'll address the, uh, the career path one first. So there's, there's no objecting to compound questions <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, so, so I came from a, a family of people that a, a lot of them worked in the medical field. So I always, thought that that might be the direction I'd go in and I ended up going to law school instead kind of you know throughout the course of college I decided to do that um, and I ended up at a large law firm practicing uh, antitrust litigation and I was like what am I doing here oh so my gosh those cases take centuries to finish they do yeah there were a lot of those cases had been going on for 10 15 yeah, yeah. years so um, I ended up changing careers. I went back to school, got a Bachelor of Science in Nursing after becoming a lawyer um, and thought I was going to go on and get a master's and become a nurse practitioner. Um, so I was working in the emergency room as an RN and started taking courses and uh, ended up meeting some people that worked at the law firm that represented the healthcare district back in the, in the Valley in California. Um, and so I ended up going to work for, went back to law and went back and did healthcare law and then ended up moving over here and uh, joined Carmel and Nakasha. And now I do, um, I've done some physician contracting, but that I don't focus on healthcare law at this point. Okay. Okay. What kind of law do you focus on? So 
most of my practice, sorry to interrupt, uh-huh. most of my practice is uh, probably a lot of it's employment law. I do a lot of trademark and intellectual property, um, helping businesses protect their confidential information. Um, most of our employment law is done on the employer side, so it ends up being defense work. Well, and, and that's important because, uh, first of all, the employers know need to know how they can get in trouble and what not to do to stay out of trouble. Are, are you able to provide them that kind of information? That is one of my, uh, my favorite things that I do in my job is, is when someone calls and they have a question like, can I do this? Can I do that? Or how, you know, how can I protect myself so that this doesn't happen? Like maybe they've heard of someone else getting sued or, you know, it's, it's like a risk mitigation. I really enjoy that, the counseling aspect and, mm. and helping people to avoid conflict. Now, have there been some changes in that area of law of late that uh, you want to bring to the attention of employers? Who might be listening? Yes. So, um, so there's always been um, kind of a question as to whether employees fit into the uh, whether someone's actually an employee or whether they're an independent contractor. And a lot of businesses like to have their workers be independent contractors because they don't have to pay the employer doesn't have to pay taxes on those people. Um, there's certain benefits to having people be independent contractors. And, and the kind of taxes, uh, excuse me for interrupting, the kind of taxes that they would have to pay would be Social Security, unemployment insurance. Uh, payroll taxes. Payroll taxes, yeah. Right. So it's just more of, um, also just more, um, you'd have to hire people to figure out how to do all that, the withholding, the pay, all the payroll. And it's quite a bit easier if you just 1099 somebody, you just pay them like, this is what I'm paying you hourly here. I just write that amount. And then the independent contractor is responsible for paying their own taxes. So I think a lot of um, businesses kind of thought that that was an attractive arrangement. Um, right around, I believe it was 2020, it was AB5 that came out, so sure. Assembly Bill 5. And so that um, kind of codified, before there was sort of like a multi-factor test set forth in this case called Dynamex where there are a number of factors that a court would consider in determining whether someone was an independent contractor or an employee. So with AB5, which is a California law, there are now um, is a three-factor test. So um, so those factors um, would be, there's three things that, so that they would look at to determine whether someone really is truly an independent contractor. So the first would be, whether the the worker is free to perform services without the control or direction of the company. So it's kind of looks at how much control the company or the employer is exerting over the worker. Um, The more control, the more they look like an employee, the less control, the more they look like an independent contractor. The second factor is whether the worker is performing tasks that are outside the usual course of the company's business activities. So an example that I give sometimes is like say um you know you're a business owner and you hire a plumber to come in right and fix you know your plumbing that person would be a legitimate independent contractor unless your company provides plumbing services so you know or you're down there directing exactly how the plumbing is going to be done exactly so those are there that that's two different things so there's three factors they look at all three so you have to meet all three of these tests to mm-hmm. be really an independent contractor so the third would be 
whether the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. So that would be, you kind of, um, you're, you're, if you're a true independent contractor, then usually you're performing your services for that particular company, but then you may also be performing your services for other companies. Um, so you kind of have your own business that you're running. So that right. would be the third factor. So if but you if meet there's only one company you're doing the services for, you look a lot more like an employee. Yeah, that's correct. And so I think what employers are finding is that it's very difficult to meet all three of those requirements. And so it's really difficult to have a legitimate independent contractor right now in the state of California. So uh, the, the employers actually, or the company or the individual providing services or goods is safer to actually classify that person as an employee and go ahead and withhold the uh, employment taxes and pay their share of the employment taxes. Is, is that the general idea? That is correct. That is the least risky route to take um, right now. Okay. Okay. Now, um, now, did, Ron, you're, you've been involved in the healthcare field for so long. Uh, it seems to me that this, I've heard of lots of uh, folks who are contract nurses, for instance, uh, who go from hospital to hospital. Are they uh, subject to the same rules or uh, are they treated like they're an independent business and uh, the hospital doesn't have to withhold? Um, in my experience with uh, traveling, what we call traveling nurses, yeah. um, generally, and Emily, I'm sure, has lots of input on this as well, but uh, in my experience that they're generally it's a 13-week contract. We contract a, a, a hospital or healthcare organization will contract with a employment company, and so those nurses are employees of that company and we're contracting with that company for additional work for the for, for the nurses. So that's the insulation uh, that protects the hospital from these kinds of problems. Correct. Um, uh, now the uh, uh, Emily if if a employer just insists I'm going to pay this person as a independent contractor even though they look like and they walk like and they sound like an employee <laughs> um, what are the uh, liabilities for the employer oh yeah there are quite a few risks I would say um, one of the things that we see or that we've seen quite a bit is that when one of these uh, people is when their contract quote unquote is terminated with the company then a lot of times if they're disgruntled and they they don't like that then they'll go go find um, you know a lot of times a plaintiff's attorney and they'll t tell that person their story and they'll come back and the um, the employer will get a demand letter saying look you misclassified this person they were actually an employee and so you know big deal but the big deal is that a lot of times you know if you're an independent contractor you can work overtime you're not subject to those meal and rest breaks and overtime wage and hour laws if you're an employee, then you are. So say this person was misclassified and they come back and say, look, I worked all this overtime as a, I quote, worked, I worked 12 contractor. hours a day. Uh huh. Yeah. But I was really an employee. So now not only did you, you know, you didn't pay me overtime. I didn't get my meal and rest breaks. 
And so you owe me that money. And then you also owe me waiting time penalties on top of that because I didn't get paid when I was supposed to get paid. So that's just, you know, one of the things that can happen. And and are there other penalties? I mean, is the employer going to be on the hook for the attorney's fees for the lawyer who brings the case for the employee? Sometimes, yes. And then uh, there are also fines. You can be fined by, you know, different departments that regulate labor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and those fines, do those uh, are, look like a percentage of what the recovery is, or are they uh, just specific amounts how, how does that work you know it depends there are a bunch of there are several labor code sections that apply so you know it kind of depends on okay. it, it's it can the, the fines can be quite quite hefty and I was going to say in the case of a nurse or a physical therapist whoever you're contracting for mm-hmm. um, of course the hospital is paying a hundred dollars an hour and the nurse might be making you know sixty sixty five dollars an hour whatever the case may be but in the union contracts uh, a missed meal means you get paid for two meals and so uh, i'm not quite sure if they would you know be subject to that under a contract well you're hungrier if you missed a meal (laughs) (laughs) well folks you're you're listening to uh, Slow County Public Policy and the Law. This is your host, Stu Jenkins. I'm having a wonderful discussion with Emily Elliott and Ron Eukelson of Carmela Nakasha. And we're talking about employment law. Now, um, have there been some specific changes in the standards in hospitals uh, lately that, uh, uh, that hospitals need to be thinking about the well there was a recent law passed um, in the state of california where minimum wage for any healthcare worker is 25 dollars an hour and that's going to be gradiated in over the course of about three years um, but uh, in in particular um, they were able to carve out of the bill because doctor's offices were worried that they were going to start having to pay their receptionists or somebody, you know, who at a lower level. Well, I, I worked as a janitor at Sierra, Sierra Vista when I was in college. Uh, would that have applied to me? At minimum $25 an hour. Yes. Great. Um, <laughs> and that's just because they work in the hospital. Is that, yes, that's because right. they work in particular we're sectors in- of the healthcare of the, of the healthcare industry. Correct. And, uh, uh, you know, again, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The doctors, the, the the California Medical Society was able to get carved out that uh, it was for certain workers. Um, again, I can use the analogy of a physician's office. Um, they might be paying eighteen to nineteen twenty dollars an hour for their receptionist. They would have been subject to that twenty five dollars an hour. Well, now here's a question because uh, you know, for instance, in San Luis Obispo County, you have uh, huge physician networks. Um, And uh, so there's clinics, and some of the clinics, uh, you know, they look like a small hospital. Um, How does the how do the uh, state authorities classify what's a hospital and what's a clinic and what's a physician's office for this kind of thing? And I don't know if Emily has looked into this this particular law. I just happen to know a little bit more about it because I'm on the board at Sierra Vista. Uh-huh. But, um, again, there are certain classifications, but where it really hit the hardest was, was for hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, most 
of the employees at Tenant Healthcare, at least that I know of, were somewhere in the $23 range anyways as kind of a base pay. And so there wasn't a lot more to absorb. And of course, the tenants and the dignities and the common spirits and, you know, those are going to be more easily to be able to absorb that than a two-physician practice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And regarding the difference between... Uh, different types of healthcare centers, like, you know, a clinic versus a hospital. Mm-hmm. I believe that would be, I, I know I've looked that up in certain situations before, and usually it's codified somewhere in like the health and safety code or the business and professions or that, that kind of, so you'd have to go to the statutes and look that up. Okay. So. Okay. So now, of course, if uh, there's a physician listening and they've got a five person, uh, uh, office how are they going to get a hold of you if they need you well they can at call us at our at our main office at 805-546-8785 um, is our phone number that's and one of the benefits folks of coming on slow county public policy in the law <laughs> um at, now um, and do you have a website uh carnac law c-a-r-n-a-c law.com Karnak. Karnak Law. Okay. You can also find us at carmelandnakasha.com, but Karnak Law seems to suffice for most people. Or you can just Google Carmel and Nakasha. (laughs) Or Ron or or me. (laughs) Or Emily. (laughs) Google is our other search engine. Yes. That's, That's good. We are coming up on a hard break pretty soon, but I wanted to ask a little bit more about the liabilities, um, and remedies are there, are the liabilities and remedies for hospitals adjusted in any way compared to other employment situations? Uh, I don't believe at this time. I know there are um, so, we, and we can talk about this later. But there are certain exceptions to the the new three three prong test. So, okay. But, okay. Yeah. So we're going to talk about those after the break, and they're from Carmel and Nakasha. Be sure and stay tuned. After the news, we're going to be talking a little bit more about employment rights and dangers for employers who don't keep up with the evolution of the law and exceptions that employers can take advantage of. Be sure and stay tuned after the news. 